Welcome to Big Data Small Talk, where we take the vast and complex world of data and break it down to bit-sized accessible conversations. Each episode is featured by leaders in the fields of data science, AI, or data engineering, as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities around data. Grab a cup of coffee and let's get started. Welcome to the first Big Data Small Talk of 2023. And today we have three very special guests to talk about how to build efficient ML pipelines. So they'll be sharing some tips and tricks and their experience for that. So I am Sabrina, your usual host, developer advocate at Chikudo. And I am so excited about today's topic because ML pipelines are, of course, a huge part of developing a machine learning product and is also one that we love to bring up at Chikudo as one of our goals is automating and managing this whole process for you inside the platform as much as we can. So yeah, I see there's a few more people who join. Hello everyone, it's great to have you guys here. And yeah, we're gonna talk more about that deeper into the conversation. Right now I'd like to pass it over to Marcel, Avi and Gus to introduce themselves and a bit of the work as well. So following the order on my screen here, Evie, would you like to go first? Yeah, yeah, hi. Am I, am I audible to you all guys? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you so much. So hello everyone, my name is Avi. So first of all, thanks for all of, thanks, you know, Sabrina and Shakura to inviting me to this space and just saying hello to Goose and Marcel fellow speakers and everybody's who is listening yeah so a short intro about myself i've been i'm being specializing in my data science analytics course so basically i've been working on various machine learning and data science projects with you know omdina and you know on my own some freelance projects apart from things for this i have recently joined stream data as you know stream ambassador to you know you know, build and share with streamly tabs as it provides very user-friendly and you know, sophisticated form to build data science and ML apps. Yeah, that's pretty much about it. So I'll be looking forward to talk more about ML pipelines and you know my experiences with recent projects. So yeah, that's it from my side. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you here. Yeah. Yeah. And next, next one in, in line here is Gus. Hey, also, thank you so much for joining. Can you introduce yourself to everyone? Hi. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me fine? Yeah. Any thumbs up? Perfect. First of all, thanks, Sabrina. Thanks, Shakudo, for the invite. I work as developer advocate for Google AI. And I'm not the, the biggest expert on ML pipelines. I know a little bit about machine learning. So I'm very excited to be here to talk to you all about all these tech and maybe answer some questions, maybe have a nice conversation, learn. Of course, that's very important for everyone. I hope I can learn some cool stuff too. And yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Gus. And we all know that you're being very modest when you say that. Thank you. And Marcel, also, thank you so much for being here. Can you introduce yourself to everyone? Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, that's great. 
So hello everyone, thanks for joining us today. Thanks Shakudo and Sabrina for the invitation. It's great to be here among amazing people. I'm sure it's gonna be a very nice conversation. I'm Marcel and I'm the developer advocate for Nextflow for Latin America and the Caribbean at Sequera Labs. So I've been involved with the open source community for almost 20 years now and have used computer science and artificial intelligence in the field of health for my whole career. So through my engineering degree, my master's degree, my PhD and so on, I've always been using technology in healthcare, using AI, mostly with open source software. And when it comes to Sequera, it's the leading provider of open source workflow orchestration software needed for data pipeline processing, cloud infrastructure, and secure collaboration. And, and that's mostly what Nextflow does. It's a pipeline orchestrator, pretty famous in the bioinformatics field, but now expanding to many different fields. So I think it's, this is a great opportunity to, to reach a, a, a wider audience and, and tell them what Nextflow is capable of. And I think it's, it's a great tool. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm going to also talk a little bit about Learn. I'm sure Gus is going to talk a bit about TensorFlow. So we, we have like questions prepared for you guys to talk about these stuff. Amazing. And we're going to open up for the audience at the end to ask questions to our speakers as well. So if you want to ask questions, either leave it on the comments for the spaces or wait until the end and we're going to answer it for you. So, okay, just before diving into the questions, let me just quickly explain the machine learning life cycle. Oh, wow. What was that, Marcel? <laughs> sorry. I actually click the button that. here, sorry. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, just quickly explain the machine learning life cycle and why we use pipelines to machine learning. So basically, when building a machine learning product, we have a few steps we need to take. So the first one is gathering the data. The second one is feature extract. So what features will we need to use in our algorithm? Clean and normalize the data. Then we're going to select the algorithm according to the problem we need to solve. After that, we, we need to evaluate the model, for example, and then visualize the insights, right? Or data that you produce somehow. But usually what happens is that we have to repeat those processes several times in order to get results we're happy with and increase our model accuracy. So we end up repeating steps like one to five over and over again. And, and to do it manually is just way too time consuming to be worth it. And that's where pipelines becomes useful. So pipelines are nothing more than a set of tasks in a certain order, scheduled to run how many times you'd like, whenever you like. And passing this to, to the speakers here, I'd like you guys to talk a bit about the benefits of using machine learning pipelines. So why do we use it and how it can improve our model accuracy? So who wants to take this one first? Well, I can, I can talk about it. So I think that depending on, 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 the, on the background of people listening to us, they probably have very different opinions on what, what are the benefits for that. If you're doing something very simple, Okay, if you're doing something very simple, just a few scripts, just a few files, then are running your machine, probably there won't be a lot of benefits. But in real life, that's not usually how it's done. So usually you're gonna use some cloud providers to have some infrastructure, or you're gonna have some remote HPC cluster to run your code. You're gonna have a lot of code that are gonna change. They're gonna come in all different sorts of way. You're gonna probably have to reproduce what you're doing. Other people will be able, should be able to maintain what you're doing. You should be able to provide to regulators and also clients and other colleagues the reproducibility for what you're doing. And so there are so many other things that you have to worry that if you have to do everything, you will stop focusing on the thing that's important. 
So at Sequera, we usually say that scientists should spend their time doing science. Data scientists should spend their time doing data science. And the only way you can do that is if you have technology to help you with that. Because even if you have other professionals working with that, like data engineers and so on, system administrators, still it's a lot of work to do it manually. And with, with pipeline orchestrators, which are the technologies that enable data pipelines, a lot of these things are automated for you. So with Nextflow, for example, what you can do is that you can write your pipeline once, run it on your machine, it works, everything is fine. And then the same way you did it, you can just ship to run on Amazon AWS, for example, or Microsoft Azure, or your local cluster. Or you can have some hybrid data pipeline. You want to run some steps of your pipeline running locally, some steps in the HPC cluster of your institution, some steps on the cloud provider. You probably will want to get some data from the cloud, some data from a database, some data from your local machine, some data from the API. So as you can see, when it, goes, when it comes to real life applications, you have very complex scenarios. And if you have to handle all of this manually, you waste a lot of time that should be focused on the analysis of data or the writing of the pipeline. So I would say that portability is one thing that these pipelines they enable, reproducibility, and just the, the transparency in every step that you do. So to make sure it's clear to everyone, everything is systematized, that the way you do, how it was done, how you can reproduce that, how you can, you can repeat that and get the same result, which is the main thing. Because if I write a data pipeline that every time I run, I get a different result, or in my machine, I have one result, but in your machine, you have a different result. It, it's kind of, it's a waste of time and a waste of even data. So these pipelines, they allow you to have this reproducibility, this portability, security, data lineage. You can, you can follow where the data came from, what happened in the end. So there are numerous benefits for your application when it comes to data pipelines. And you have all this technology that really, really, really can help you write your pipelines. Yeah, absolutely agree. And there's so many different variables to writing pipelines. I mean, of course, it differs a lot in real, from the real life to like in the paper. And I'll pass it right now to Avi so he can talk and add to what you just said, Marcel. So yeah, go ahead, Avi. Yeah. yeah, thanks, Sabrina. Thanks, Marcel, for sharing your insights. So yeah, I definitely agree with Marcel. So there are, this, apart from what he said, it may it helps you know when we work on memory projects we mainly work with the teams so it allows this you know if have this pipeline we it allows the collaboration it you know improves the efficiency you know to you know maintain everybody of the code that you know you are sharing with the team and you know if anybody wants any change and it it maintains this the set of structure and coherency and you know producing the results that we want and it also you know allows the version control if there is you know iterations going on you know one on it's and it, there are a lot of iterations going to happen to improve accuracy new data comes in so if you have the structured code and that allows reproducibility it you know you know improves your efficient team efficiency and you know output so i think that is the reason why you know much important to have this kind of pipelines yeah that's from my side yeah, thank you so much. I completely agree. Would you like to add something to this question before we jump to the next? Yes, yes, of course. As Avi said and Marcel, of course, the idea is reproducibility. I guess that's the main thing. And when we think about machine learning, it's not something easily debuggable, let's say like that, right? You're talking about thousands, millions of data points, and you cannot just keep debugging it easily. So making sure that all your experiments are running based on the same assumptions 
it will help you make sure that whatever the results you have, the final models, they are comparable, right? Because if your data changes, it's you, it's, you cannot really compare easily if your new model architecture that you're using is better or not, because if the data change, it might be something else. So having that easily reproducible is very important. Of course, when we start as ML developers, like I'm learning, you go and do your first MNIST, your Penguin data set, whatever. You don't really worry too much about the data, the pipelines. But as soon as you start to do something that's more serious, like if you want to deploy your model to an app, then you start, you worry about all of these, all of a sudden. So the problem with this is that you go from, I don't need to worry about this now, to now you have to worry about a lot of stuff. And this is part of the, the drill, right? It's almost like when you deploy a software from, oh, I did this on my machine and it's working, to do it professionally. When then you need a, a system to keep testing your, your, your app, you have to have a system to deploy, you have all of this. Machine, machine learning pipelines are the similar thing, but for machine learning, right? So that guess that's the gist. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with what you guys are saying. And the thing about like bringing back what I said in the first question is like one of the reasons why we use machine learning pipelines is to improve our model accuracy, right? But like balancing the data is a big aspect of it, like meaning checking, transform any data that you have might help you to minimize any risks and visualize the model better when building your machine learning pipelines. So better visualization techniques might help. You can use, for example, some libraries like Nextflow or Scikit-Learn to explain the data to you and the relation between different features that you have. So a problem with high accuracy on those cases is that it increases the chances for false positives, right? So. Have you ever been in a situation where that happened? And what are your advice to minimize risks around false positives or building machine learning pipelines in general? Do you have any specific tip or story that you'd like to share? I have a quick one. In terms of deployment in machine learning, one important aspect is you mentioned, right, you have your data and you might do some transformations on that, right? Whatever it is. Let's suppose you have a column or a feature that is date of birth. And working with date of birth is usually not optimal because dealing with dates is horrible for people and machines. So what you can do is you can convert date of birth to uh, age, right? So you have 20, 30 years old. That can help your machine learning model. So when you do that on your, on your ML pipeline, that will help your model push better, give you a good result. One thing that's very important that pipelines help you with is that whenever you deploy this model to production or to even to on an app, these transformations that are on your pipeline, they should be applied also to the inputs from your app, right? Because if people give you date of birth and you work on date of birth, your model will just spit whatever wrong values it takes from it. So the idea when you have everything properly documented and organized on your pipeline, you know that when you deploy this model to your application, that you should also have in mind, oh, I need to apply those transformations also to the data that comes from my users, or if I'm doing a batch processing, I have to apply all those transformations also to that data, 
So this is an important aspect of the challenge, right? You have the specific parts that you can apply to other aspects of your ML flow, let's say like that, that you need later. And it's all well documented. If it's, of course, if you do it properly, if it's all well documented, so it's easy for you to achieve good results. This is one important aspect that I see sometimes. This by itself makes ML pipelines critical, right? So this is just to add something here. Well, I think that I don't have a lot of stories about that because usually one of the things that you have is that you're supposed to do like a very good exploratory analysis to understand your data. And this way, it's easy to spot situations in which accuracy wouldn't be a good metric. So if you have unbalanced data, for example, you should use accuracy. You should use something else, like, I don't know, Matthew correlation, for example. So I don't have any situation I've run through that I didn't call that at first. And then I just ran into an accuracy that was full of false positives and, and things like that. But bringing that to the pipeline discussion, I think that one very interesting thing that, can, that we can do is that because when you use software for, to orchestrate your pipeline, it's very easy to organize your steps and make them very powerful. So what you can do, for example, is that you have a step to check for balance in your data. This is one thing. Or you can have one, one check for not only quality control, but you can have a check for metrics in which you, you will try a lot of different metrics to, to see how good your classification algorithm worked, for example. And then in the end, you could, you could get some report with all these different results, with different metrics, with different checks, and you could see what was going on. So if you have to do it manually, it's a bit boring. And even if you're copy-pasting code for someone, it's, it's a bit messy. But because of the way that pipelines usually are made, mostly with these pipeline orchestrated tools, such as Nextflow, but not only Nextflow, like most of them, you could really easily include your module into this module someone did for your workflow. So automatically it would be included, it would very well organized, a step in your pipeline, and at the end you would have the, the, the metrics for all different metrics for your algorithm. And then you would be able to, to identify what was there. So definitely we could spend like a lot of time talking about metrics here and what could happen. But I think that if you think about the pipeline side of it, there's a lot of good things that it can bring. Even for beginners, if you don't really understand the math and all these things, being able to include easily a step in your pipeline that will, be, will make it reproducible with all these different metrics, I think it, it's a great benefit. I love it. That's a great tip right there. Avi, would you like to add anything before we jump to the next one? Yeah, yeah. So basically, I would, I would like to share my recent experience on similar instance. So we had the confusion, I know, metrics and there were, so we had the had to choose the metrics, right? So, so accuracy is not the always right metric for classification tasks because we might have unbalanced data or we want to you know, increase, you know, focus on one specific task. For example, like I want to decrease the negative, you know, predictions or I want to you know, increase false positive. I want to, you know, increase precision recall. So there are multiple metrics. So we, so one thing I would suggest is that, you know, choose your metric, like it's if it's a recall, if it's precision. So for example, we had this recall. So we want to reduce false negative. So we do not have anything to do accuracy. Accuracy was high, right? 90%, 80%, but it doesn't matter because we want false negative to be zero almost like as low as low, low because problem was in you know, MMR material mortality case. So so in such a, you know, and during the project execution, you know, you know, like cycle one should, you know, consult with the domain expert team What's the actual metric, the you know optimization metric that you are going to focus on throughout the problem? It could be multiple metrics as well. If there is no one metric, then it could be precision recall, 
F1 score is most suitable for you know a lot of tasks because it gives both of for work for almost all classification tasks. So and and to give to you know go with you know right metric, it's better to discuss main the business problem and the metric that you want to optimize. Based on that, it can be you know decided. Yeah, that's from my side. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And just bringing back a topic that we we're talking previously, like we all know that things in real life are much more complicated than paper, right? So just talking over it, you might think that a data pipeline is as simple as like a data comes in, then model makes a prediction and that's done, but that's not at all the case. So we can think of it like, okay, so raw data comes in, it goes through multiple transformation layers, there's quality checks, there's anomaly detection, there's feature engineering, then, then we, we make the predictions, then we, we're gonna do some quality assurance tests, then we write it to the table, then we serve it to the customer. And we also have like many ML components behind it, like ML ops stuff around like not just data pipelines, but there's also serving pipelines. Right, so there is production monitoring, there is feature stored, there is development pipeline, and this is all very overwhelming, I know. But just to keep in mind that things in real life are much more complicated, and this is just a fairly typical, maybe even simplified example of what this process, whole process, looked like of building an, a complex and a product. Let's put it this way. So I wanted to know from you guys what's an example of a real world ML pipeline that you've worked on, and what are challenges you faced when building it is there something like you you liked doing enjoyed doing something that you didn't enjoy doing tell me about it who wants to go first? i can go first so <clears throat> you, you want to go, go first Adil? oh okay 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 go. okay so during my phd i was working with causality so basically what i had was some non-experimental data from cancer patients in the u.s and we were trying to model it in a way that we could be able to infer in some situations causal relationships. We wanted to understand what was causing a few things, what was not causing, and things like that. And we had this machine learning algorithm that was able to infer a graph that in some cases could point to causal relationships, right? To some degree. The thing is, a lot of time, and I mean a lot of time, I would say, I don't know, literally most of the time, I was either clean the data and preparing data that we know it's like most of the time we spend working with the data before we can really do something. But not only that, a huge amount of the time I was working on building the pipeline. And when I'm talking about building pipeline, I don't mean using a software to orchestrate my pipeline. I was building the software to orchestrate my pipeline because I just didn't have the exposure to the software that existed. So Nextflow has been around for over 10 years. SnakeMake and also others, Luigi, there are many software that do these type of things. But the way we needed it to do, we just didn't know about tools like Nextflow. So Nextflow would be a great tool to, to do many things we did in the lab when I did my PhD at Softball in France. A lot of things would have benefited from Nextflow, but we didn't, knew, we didn't know it could be so useful. So we had to spend a lot of time writing code to glue things together. To, we created a web app to get this data. We created like a lot of different tools, tools to handle containers. We literally created a pipeline from scratch that was very specific toward things. So we could not even reuse it to other things. It was very specific to the analysis we were doing. So it was a pain 
And as soon as I left my PhD, I, I ran into Nextflow and I got hired by Sequera. And I was like, oh my God, if I had it two years, three years before, my work would be much better because I would be able to focus on the science, on the analysis, not on building software to glue things together, you know? And, and you know, I could be a great scientist, a great data scientist, you know? But maybe I'm not such a good developer or maybe I'm not good at pipeline developer. So I was forced to do things that I'm probably could not be well prepared for that. I could be the best scientist, but if I'm a bad developer, my pipeline would be bad. So I think the nice thing about using these pipeline orchestrators is because, you know, a lot of great people work on that. They are really good with that. And then you can trust that and you can do what you're good at, which is do analysis, machine learning engineer, whatever you do, you know? So I had like, it was like now looking back, I was like, oh my God, I suffer so much and it would be so much easier and better if I knew these tools were there and if I knew how to use them. So today I still get like most of my time I'm, I'm talking with researchers both in the public and the private sector in Latin America and the Caribbean. And the whole time I'm telling them, don't make the mistakes I made. Don't do everything by yourself. It's gonna be a lot of work, it won't be nice. So use tools like Nextflow, it's gonna be much easier for you to build your pipelines and to do your things. And again, I keep talking about Nextflow because you know it's the one I use, it, I think it's the best one, but there are numerous ones. There are a lot of different tools to do that. They, they have different strategies. There are many different ways to do that. I just keep talking about Nextflow because it's the one I use and the one I, I like and the one I work for, but there are many other ones. It's just that in my opinion, Nextflow is the best. <laughs> That's it. Absolutely, and Marcel, and this is why we host those talks, right? So that future Marcels will make the same mistake and people can get to know many different technologies. Particularly, I've been studying a lot of Scikit-Learn. It integrates very well with distributed computing frameworks like Dask and Spark, very used among data sciences. So if you're using a tool like that, Scikit-Learn also allows you to parallelize execution of pipelines. So it works very well if you have a large data set and you, you don't want to worry about like memory constraints. You, you don't have to like write multi-threading code. And also it speeds up a lot of the training time. So this is amazing for big data. If you guys are working with big data, this is one of the most known, I, I think, tools out there that integrates with Desk and Sparks as well. Just getting a little bit of the flow here from Marcel and talking about another tool that can also orchestrate pipelines. And Evie, I know you had your hand up. Do you want to add something to this? Yeah, yeah. So, so I just want to share. Like, so we, I recently worked on, an, you know, the project. It was based on material mortality prediction to reduce material mortality in African regions, rural, you know, southern. Sub-Saharan African region. So we, so it was in the project. So in healthcare industry, so we know healthcare is a very critical industry for you know on ground and doctors' perspective and the medical who are the end users' perspective. And so and the challenges in this kind of project, you know, I what I what I could learn is that it was mainly you know data collection side, data gathering side because it's you know even it's in Africa, so collection at the ground level, you know, collecting data from you know, call clinics and hospital, it was super tough for our partner there. And, you know, it, there were manual records and it has to be converted, manually converted into the Excel files. And then it took me, it took us a lot of time to get that. So that was the biggest challenge in, in, that, in that project. And I think in healthcare, so a lot of countries in still there is this problem that records and all this, you know, the privacy issue and even 
so this could be the major issue and another issue we faced in the, that project was deployment side because deployment again it was in our case basically specific for this case we had time time constraint as the, the same as some other constraints so there were resource constraint on they not choose the which cloud so we ended up we you know we decided to go for go with aws you know deployment services but we ended up doing things on streamlit so that was a bit so yeah that was a bit challenging because obviously resources is a constraint in real world when you deploy and run then monitor the project so that cost and takes some you know technical manpower as well so all those things you know were challenging in that project so yeah that was my yeah thank you so much also guess go ahead and I... Of course, no, I just want to add something to what Marcel said is don't don't build what you don't need, right? That's a very common, I guess, software development rule or tip or whatever, or best practice, let's say. And for pipelines, it's exactly the same. I gave a workshop a couple of years ago before COVID. Many, some startups were there. We were talking about TensorFlow Extended, which is the TensorFlow open source solution for machine learning pipelines. And the idea, we called them there, we were explaining what, how you would do stuff with TFX and stuff like that. And one of the feedbacks we've got from them is that, yeah, we were trying to build all of this by ourselves. And that's a huge problem, right? If you're a startup, you don't have that much resource to just throw away, right? And when you build the pipeline yourself, you code stuff yourself without using a, a, a ready a tool that's available, you... It's not, oh, it's easy to start, but then you have to maintain, you have to fix bugs, you have to add new features that might be available somewhere else. You have to have a people dedicated to that that could be doing something more important. So that's that's precious, right? Don't You don't need to build stuff that's ready, already that are available. And of course, if everything that's available for whatever reason, don't feature use case perfectly. Maybe you can adapt, maybe you can find, for example, TFX is open source, right? So maybe if there's a component you need to update or change for your use case, you can do that. So please don't, don't build a ML pipeline from scratch yourself. It's, I guess there are better options than that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you there, guys. And this is what Shakuto tries to do, it abstracts away all the hassle behind it and automates the whole thing for you so you can like have a managed version of whatever open source application you like to have in the platform, really. So next question I have for you guys here is from the audience. So it's from a cloud machine learning engineer, Abhiran. I, I hope I came close to pronouncing it right. <laughs> I'm sorry. The question is, in building ML pipelines, what sort of software development practices are the best? Should we do the agile way and use Jira, or there, or is there other SDLC styles that are applicable when building ML pipelines, especially on the cloud? So yeah, can you guys answer that one? So to be honest, it may surprise some people, but it's not very different from just regular software development. So, for example, with Nextflow, if you want to use TDD, test development, you want to create tests, you can do that. Some people do that. They write Nextflow pipeline using TDD, test-driven development. Some people would just write their regular way. Some people, they're going to use a very functional and modular way. 
because it's just like Python, there are many different ways you can write a program, right? So some people are gonna write very object-oriented programming software. Some people are gonna use a lot of functions, gonna use like closures and all these things. It's a matter of style. So I think that there are a few things you should always do. And if you feel comfortable with something, just go the way you are comfortable with. If you like agile development, go for that. But I think that there are a few things at least that in every style, let's say, you, you can borrow a few things. So I think tasks in many cases, they are very important. I think that making your code modular is very important. And for Nextflow, the, the Nextflow is not only the software, but also the language to describe your pipelines. So with Nextflow DSL2, which is the latest version of the language, you, it, it really makes it easy for you to write modular code. It's very easy to write modules that can be included in your pipeline, but also sub-pipelines. So actually we call workflows and sub-workflows. It's very easy to write it in a modular way so that everything is easier for you. Then you can also do tasks. So it's mostly a matter of style, in my opinion, but definitely there are a few things in every type of style that you can borrow and make it good for you. So I think it's just like software development. It's a matter of taste, I would say. Yeah, thanks, Marcel. I'm here and I, I hope that answers your question. You're very much invited to join at the end as well. And we're going a bit over time with the questions here, so I'm just going to jump into the specific questions to each one of the speakers around their areas. We have about 20 minutes left in this spaces. So I'd like to start with Gus. So I know you're a TensorFlow expert, so I want you to talk a bit about TensorFlow for us and more specifically, like the advantages of using TensorFlow in this context of building machine learning or in the machine learning pipelines and how it simplifies this process. Can, can you share a bit around of that? Of course. Of course. So first of all, what's TensorFlow? TensorFlow is a machine learning framework. It's open source, free, anyone can use. It does neural networks, it does trees, decision forest, and all stuff like that. So you have a, a very good coverage in terms of machine learning algorithms that you can use. It has a very cohesive API, which is the, the Keras API. You can also use the core TensorFlow directly, but for beginners, the Keras API is just an easy way to understand neural networks in the same way that you can also build a decision tree. Very, very easy to learn API. And the good thing about TensorFlow is that the models you create can be deployed virtually anywhere from a big server to a mobile phone, to, the, to a browser, to a Raspberry Pi, to embedded devices anywhere. So the same model that you create, you can deploy in many, many places, different places. And that's one of the big advantages. The other cool thing is that we have our own solution for machine learning pipelines that I mentioned earlier, TensorFlow Extended will give you, it's based on what we used internally at Google, right? TFX that is open source is basically the same thing we use internally to build all these models you see from Google, like, I don't know, Lambda, MUM, of course, Birch model was created using that, the Transformers model was created using that. So the, if anyone is doing something with machine learning on Google, they have to have a pipeline somewhere and it's using TFX at its core. So there's a lot, many years of experience of what a machine learning pipeline needs and how to do it, because we've been doing this for many years. So this is, I guess, one part of the cohesive story from TensorFlow that you have from creating mod to doing the transformations, to deploying, to serving. Of course, we have TF serving that you can serve 
any of the models that you create with TensorFlow. And when I say TensorFlow, it also entails JAX, which is a more researchy-like framework that is also compatible with all the TensorFlow tools. So if, for example, if you're building a JAX model for whatever you're doing that, you can run that model on the same TFX that I just mentioned. You can serve that with TF serving. You can also run that model on device, the web, all of that will work. So the whole framework tries to help machine learning, data, data scientists, and the ML ops people, right? The people that takes care of ML pipelines, have, they try to help you in every step of the way. I think that's one of the advantages of TensorFlow and to have like the, you're inside the same ecosystem, right? And that's, we try to solve all your problems based on what we've solved already for us, right? So it's, it, there's not much difference. Of course, we have some specifics for some internal tooling, but that doesn't make sense for external, but everything else should be as close to what we use as possible. Yeah, that's an amazing answer. And also TensorFlow can help a little bit in things like data parallelism and reducing communication costs, right? You, sorry, can you repeat, please? Yeah, the question here is how can TensorFlow help in this contest, context where we have things like data parallelism, model parallelism, and also reducing communication costs? Yes, of course. For TensorFlow specifically, if, you're, if we think about, let's, let's go from core and then go to the borders. If you think about the TensorFlow the, for training a neural network or a decision force, we have distribution we can, you can do distributed training in both of TensorFlow already. You can just define a strategy and distribute your training, uh, both the, the computation of the neural network and the data. You can distribute this in many machines or in many GPUs or TPUs, all of that. That's all part of the framework. It's to, to train something distributed is like you may need three or four lines of code, right? You define a strategy and you use the strategy that's basically maybe three lines of code. You can, you can do that. That's specifically for training the model on the, with TensorFlow framework. But of course, the TFX, when you do the data transformation and all of that, you can use Spark, you can use Bing, you can do, use all these data, these distributed frameworks to run your process, right? So all of this is compatible. So if you need that, that's also available. And the other... Final thing is if your all the TFX components are available inside Google Cloud under the Vertex AI product there. So you can do, if you don't want to have your own stuff on-prem, you take care of machines and stuff like that, you can run all of this on Google Cloud and they are very, very similar to what you would do on your machine. Of course, you can even transfer your TFX pipeline to GCP kind of easily and continue from there if you need more machine, more power, more storage, whatever. So this is this is part of also the, we try to keep that as simple as possible. But yeah, you have access to distributed for data and for computation. That's all part of the framework. And we try to keep it easy because again, making the same analogy to developing, if you need to develop something and it starts to become distributed, it becomes a nightmare. So we know that the easier we can make this, the better. So that's the kind of the, the principle behind that. Try to make this easy. I love it. I just love it. I know that TensorFlow is just one of the dozen tools integrated inside the platform, as well as, well as like Dask and Spark as you're talking. 
and it would just make it so easy for you to just go there and start using it and it just like you don't have to worry about any of the hassle of setting it up and it's just about that right all of these tools we're talking about here is tools made to make your life easier so don't go in inventing the wheel right things are already made there are many many great options for you to just go ahead and skip a lot of the hassle of building those things yourself and perhaps even things inside tools that you're already using that you don't know there is. Um, I can guarantee you many of the things are already built. So just spending a little time in talks like this or listening to podcasts or YouTube videos explaining a little bit of those things can save you a lot of times. And this is why we love community, right? So yeah, my, my next question here, I want to, to ask Marcel, and it's about Nextflow. So I know, Marcel, you love Nextflow. You talked about it a little bit already. So yeah, my, my first question about it is, can you provide examples of how you use Nextflow's features like dynamic execution and adaptive pipeline to improve pipeline performance? Yeah, sure. So when you're looking at the way that these pipeline orchestrators work, usually there are two approaches. We have call bottom up uh, and top bottom or bottom top. Uh, anyway, uh, you got the idea. Either you start and you go step by step until the end and that's it. But others, they will first build what it's called a dependency graph. So they're going to take like you know, a few minutes, sometimes even an hour, depending on the size of the pipeline to build this dependency graph and then work through that. There are some benefits for doing that. But the thing is, there is no dynamic reasoning, let's say, or adaptive working of the pipeline during the execution. At runtime, nothing's going to change. What we use with Nextflow is, is a bottom-top approach. So basically what happens is that the pipeline starts what, which, what you have, and it keeps working until the end. And because it works this way, it can take decisions during runtime. At the beginning, one of the drawbacks of that is that you couldn't even get some information about the pipeline until it was over because you had to finish doing everything to understand what happened. But now this changed. We had some features that allow you to get a lot of information about the dependency graph before execution. So going back to the question, so how does Nextflow does that? Since it, it's able to do this dynamic decision, reasoning during the pipeline execution, how it does that and, and what it means. So what means is that, for example, one of the things I mentioned earlier is about portability. So you're going to write your Nextflow pipeline in your machine for testing, and then the same pipeline can just run everywhere. So you can just say, today, I want to run it in the HPC cluster of my institution. They have Slurm for job schedulers. Or tomorrow, I want to use Amazon Batch or something, or Google Batch, you know? And it's going to work the same way. You're going to have the portability, the reproducibility. But then if you work with cloud, you know that sometimes you request a few things to the cloud environment that's gonna be created for you. Like I want a virtual machine with, I don't know, two gigabytes of RAM. And maybe that step is gonna take more than that. What some people would do is to ask like a lot of resources to make sure the VM will be able to do the step. But you know, this is a waste of money, a waste of resources, a waste of everything, you shouldn't do that. You should actually request the appropriate amount that you think you're gonna use and if it's, it's not enough, Nextflow can at runtime fix it for you. So you say like, okay, so I, ha I have this tab. I need a VM to do that. I want a VM with two gigabytes of RAM. But if this is not enough, I want you to retry with four gigabytes of RAM. 
if it still doesn't work, do it with eight gigabytes of RAM. But you know, if it gets to the point where eight gigabytes of RAM is not enough, I don't want you to retry. I want you to do not do this task anymore. If it's an optional task, just don't do that. If it's like a fundamental task, you need this task to go forward with the pipeline, then terminate the pipeline and tell me what happened. So instead of always breaking the pipeline and you're losing a lot of time of work, some pipeline, they can take weeks, you know? So instead of having to start from scratch, you can have this automated intelligent reasoning doing execution. And also when it breaks, you can use the resume feature, what, which we call reentrancy. So you can start from where you stopped. So if it was a hundred steps and it broke in the 90th test step, you can start from where it broke. You won't have to redo everything again. So there are many other different things you can do. So depending, so for example, sometimes I will give you one example. There's a, a company called 23andMe. They're a client of us. Basically they do consumer service for genomics. So you send a sample of your saliva. They're going to do some sequencing and, and tell you a few things about your healthcare. So probably what they have is a sequencer, some devices that are going to get your sample and spill out some data. And as soon as the data get in a folder, probably what they have is a trigger to automatically trigger a next row pipeline. The thing is, depending on your sample, many different things should be done. So you have some softwares that are really good when you have one specific type of data or high quality data. And sometimes you don't have good quality data. So you could have something like, you know, if the quality is above this threshold, you go this path of the pipeline. But if the data is below this threshold, you go this path. Or depending on how many chromosomes this organism has, you go this path or you go this other path. So in the end, there's a lot of things you can do at runtime, everything being automated for you with these features that Nextflow provides. So I think in a few words, I'm sorry, I think I spoke too much, but in a few words, that's what we can do when it comes to runtime decisions and adaptive pipeline execution with Nextflow. Yeah, that's perfect. And you actually just answered my next question for you, which was how Nextflow's checkpointing and restart feature recovers pipeline from, from failure. And this is an amazing example of how you can use Nextflow and its capabilities. So if you guys were looking for a tool that had the power to do that, of course, Nextflow is a great option. And I know that Marcel is already publishing some content on the comments of this thread linked in the description of the spaces. So you can just go ahead and also start checking it out. Thanks, Marcel. And yeah, so finally, I, I want to ask Avi a few questions. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious, how do you use data visualization? Like going, start talking about data visualization now, which we know is an amazing and one of the most important steps, like one of the final steps of the data pipeline. So data visualization and diagnostic tools to understand those pipelines and debug them. How do you usually do that? Yeah, yeah. So I'd like to say, see, in data uh, visualization is like any way very important, you know, step in, you know, the machine learning pipeline. So you, I mainly use for, you know, it can be used to, you know, visualize statistical properties of data features, you know, feature interactions, you know, what is the relations between, you know, various, you know, features with the target or what, what your target is. So it can help to, you know, visualize like how, you know, distributions, what is the distribution of each feature? They are normal, there is there any abnormal, you know, there is, you know, what do you say, abnormality, is there outliers are there or not? So because all those minor changes, minor, you know, 
abnormalities you know affects your model outputs and it, you need to you know you know transform those feature accordingly it could be it may be if their feature is very low variance so you want to you want not to be there in your modeling pipeline so you want to diagnose it you know through visualization tools earlier and then even it other tools for you know improving accuracy hyper tuning hyperparameters there are tools even tensor board tensor flow so there is tensor board is one of the easiest tool that you can log experiments and compare models you know different you know models accuracies and you can visualize what is the what is the, you know changes are you are experiencing you know what do, what are the, your experiment how it you know interacting with the what are the different hyperparameter interacting you know to contribute to the particular accuracy and according to you can you know estimate what should be done at the next step and you can run the experiment experiments you know iterate much much efficiently and you know end up with your you know the result that you want yeah so these are the like tools i really use yeah i love it and definitely is the final step like one of the final steps and it's such a, a pleasant step as well. I'm not sure what you guys think, but the next question is for Avi, but you guys and Marcel, so feel free to answer that, is what are your most and least favorite steps when building an ML pipeline and why? <laughs> so, yeah, what's that thing like data cleaning? Like, oh no, I hate that. Avi, you can go ahead and answer that first if you like. See you, yeah. So you, did you ask about what least preferable steps? Am I right? Yeah, it was your most and least favorite steps when building ML pipelines. Okay, okay. So this is an interesting question. Like, you know, least, you know, if I would say first, let me start with least favorite steps. So I would say it's kind of, you know, data analysis and kind of to, you know, find, you know, you know, transforming and cleaning. And, you know, I know it's very cliche, but I think, it kind of annoying to you know if to do the data pre-processing a lot so i'd like to do i'd like to avoid that step it's not if i'm doing my project but i'd like to pass on to the you know somebody else who is better than and the most you know this step i love is you know this i'm modeling obviously like i really like to expand through the various modalities you know trying different hyperparameters and structure the code to you know optimize model performance so that's something i really enjoy and naturally and very you know so that's the most you know enjoyable part in ml pipelines <laughs> amazing yeah i i do agree with you a little bit so yeah i guess and marcel do you guys want to add to it before i jump to the last question from the audience i guess i guess i don't have like a yeah, I guess maybe cleaning up data is a little bit annoying because you are, if you think that you're going to build everything, the cleaning data, it's so in the beginning that you start to, oh my God, I still have a lot of work to do to get anything going. So that might be, that's why I think it's a little bit, maybe that's why I don't like it much. And there's another aspect that's very, that's very particular to me, which is when you see some people people's notebooks that they clean the data and they're showing some data analysis, right? Which is still in the beginning. And they do such an amazing job with super colorful graphs, very beautiful visualizations. And then when I do, it's horrible, right? It's like those, you know, those, if you think there's those beautiful drawings, and then you, when you look at mine, it's like sticky man, right? It's horrible. So this is, that's why I don't like maybe much the data cleaning part, because it's, 
I'm not good at it. That's that's definitely I'm not good at it. And I and it's so far so the beginning, right? Because you have so much work to do. And I really like to see things working, right? I want to go and see, oh, this worked. Look, there's some results here. And then iterate on that and improve performance and stuff like that. That's that's the the cool part. I I just like to I have to to drop somebody in because I have another meeting. I like thank you for the invite again. Thank Shakudo again for the invite. Nice to meet you, Avi, in, in voice. <laughs> and you, you too, Marcel. Nice to be here with both of you. Feel free to follow me if you like machine learning content. I am not an expert on machine pipelines, but I talk about machine learning Python basically every day. So feel free to follow, leave your questions. I'm One good thing is I'm pretty sure that all of you can do it. It might be a little bit annoying at first, but machine learning is here for everyone. So don't don't... Don't give up. You can do it. Thank you again, Sabrina. I really have to go. Thank you so much for being here, guys. And, and definitely, everyone, hit that follow button on every speaker here. They are they are amazing. They're always putting out content. They're very active. So just go into their socials. You, you guys are going to see it. Thank you, guys. I know you have to drop. And just last question from the audience to Abby and Marcel. If you guys can answer that, I'm sure. This is a very interesting because it, like, talks a bit about everything that we discussed here and it is from Eric is how to build these ML pipelines not from scratch and who wants to take that this question okay so for a second I will not talk about Nextflow <laughs> so one interesting thing that we have Nextflow is, is a plugging system and there are many reasons we have that so the first reason is because even though it's an open source software it's not easy for people to contribute code. So you have a lot of open source software out there, but when you, when you go to the number of collaborators, there's not a lot because it's tricky. It's difficult to start contributing to a new code base. So the idea of having a plugin system makes it much easier to contribute because you have an isolated contribution that you can test in your machine, not so much code. So we have this plugin system. Now, why I'm talking about that? We don't want Nextflow to do everything. We would for sure fail if you wanted Nextflow to do everything. We want Nextflow to help you do everything, but sometimes working with other things. So when you're going to work with Google Cloud Platform, for example, we have a Google Cloud plugin. When you're going to work with Amazon, we have an Amazon plugin and so on. So when you ask about keeping track of data, for example, data versioning, there's a, a company called Quilt Data. It's a partner of Sekera, and they have a software called Quilt that allows you to have version buckets on Amazon S3. So if you are using Nextflow, for example, and you want to version your data, you can use the Quilt plugin and do that. But there's one tool that I like a lot, and I've been even thinking about maybe working on the plugin, which is DVC, Data Version Control. It's a software from a company called Iterative AI from the US. They're great guys. They do an amazing work, and they've been working for a long time on DVC. The software, it's like a Git, but it versions your, your data. And not only that, not only input data, but also output data, intermediate data, metrics, files, and all these things. And they also have a simple experimental handling routine. So you can not only version your data, but you can glue together the, the code that is versioned by Git with the data that is versioned by DVC. You can glue them together with DVC. And one thing that I like a lot is that you can just travel in time in a repository with Git checkout. In the same way the, file, the, the source code are going to change according to your checkout, the data is also going to change because DBC is going to follow Git. 
So it, it's a great tool to be able to version your data, your metrics, to, to have everything together in a Git repository. I like it a lot. But if you have to run on cloud and so on, then it starts to get tricky. And that's where Nextflow can help you a lot because Nextflow supports Amazon and, and Microsoft and Google, all the main cloud providers, the main container technologies, the main executors, the main job schedule for HPC. So Nextflow already has support for all these amazing things. So it's so easy for you to run it everywhere to have portability, reproducibility. But if you, if you want to use Nextflow in version data, Quilt is a, good, is a good way to do that. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Abby, do you want to add anything here or say your goodbyes, your, your quick plug over to you? Yeah, I just had a quick, quick, uh, you know, add-on to the to to not to do things from scratch and you know not reinvent the wheel. So that there are like if you want to build pipelines, there are a lot of tools, no code, you know, and as Scikit-Learn has a lot of pipeline tools that you can use to you know reduce the amount of code that you have to write, and uh, so so you can use those like I think and there is DVC Dexa is the you know the platform super useful you know it's you know similar to that github for you know github it for you know code versions and it dexup can be used for you know data model and expanding so all those things are already available dvc is similar to the git if you are familiar with software development with git and figure git and github similar to the same you can do with git dvc and dexup and you are good, good to go to set up all these things. And without very low, very low code, you can just run the pipeline and experiments and, you know, build models. So, yeah, so there are multiple tools we can use. Yeah, also just adding my part to it. When you think about building things from scratch, there are already many alternatives that let you not have to do that, not have to go to the hassle of building things from scratch. Shikuru, for example, is an alternative to that. So we want to be on your data process or data product creation end to end. So we give you the environment for you to build on. We give you an easy way to manage and deploy those pipelines in just a few clicks. You can also have many tools integrated already with your deployed apl applications. So dozens of tools, including the ones we mentioned here, like DBT, Spark, Desk, TensorFlow, in the way to, to integrate MLflow now that Marcel talks about it so much. But yeah, SkyKitLearn, which is also an amazing pipeline orchestrator and many tools that are ready, ready to go, ready to use. You don't have to set up, you don't have to do anything because they're already inside the platform. So once you build your application inside the platform, you're already connected to all of those. And it's also multi-cloud, so you can just move around any cloud provider that you'd like or also on-premises. Great way to not go from scratch when creating a, a data project for a machine learning pipeline. You already have that baseline all constructed and distributed for you. And yeah, I think this wraps up our conversation here today. So thank you so much. Anything else you'd like to talk to Evie or Marcel, share any final thoughts with the audience so we can wrap it up? Yeah, I just want to thank you for the opportunity, Sabrina, for the invitation, Shakudo, for enabling us to, to get together and talk about these amazing topics. It's great. I just wanted to, to possible, if it's possible, to share that we have a, a podcast called Channels, Next Flow Podcast, and we just had a new episode released today. So I'm going to share the link in, in the thread here. So if anyone wants to hear news about the community side of Next Flow, you can, you can just follow and watch the podcast.
Yeah, amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. Like, I guys check it out. Every final words. Yeah, I think yeah, it's the final word. So I just want to you know just thank Sabrina and Shakura to organizing this space. And I think it was some talk with with all of you, the Marcel and the girls earlier. And thanks and all of you in audience to listening to us and you know giving up. So yeah, thanks to him. Yeah, I thank you. Thank you, all the speakers. Thank you, everyone in the audience who came here today. We're 10 minutes over time now. A great conversation. And see you guys in the next Big Data Small Talk with more machine learning, AI topics, and efficient ways for you to develop your data project. So see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks for attending.